This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, welcome everybody to the Sports Biz Pod where we give you behind-the-scenes access to various sports executives, athletes, entrepreneurs, kind of pick their brain about what's going on in sports entertainment. And uh, I'm your host, Nick Hayden, founder of Sports Biz Group. We're a creative sports entertainment agency in New York City. And today we have a really special guest, Will Hershey, who's the co-founder and CEO of Round Hill Investments. They have various exchange-traded funds on the uh, public markets, which are trading at BETS, B-E-T-Z, and NERD, N-E-R-D. He's coming from uh, education of Vanderbilt University, which is a shout out to the SEC, but it's coming from a lot of financial uh, background and, and kind of making some waves in sports and entertainment in the, the public markets. But Will, great to have you on the show and uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, Nick, thanks for having me. I love the uh, ticker shout outs too. That's unusual. I get those right at the, right at the top. <laughs> we can maybe get them panning across if there's a if there's a oh, big, that... uh, <laughs> how, how's everything going like how's quarantine been like how's the adjustment I know you're a smaller team and you guys move pretty nimbly but just kind of started off like how has everything been to kind of start the new year it's a lot of transition for people yeah I mean from an from an operational standpoint like you mentioned it's a small team so I think managing that aspect of it we were always doing work from home work remote whatever you want to call it so from that perspective, it really hasn't been too much of a transition. But for us, as you mentioned, our products that we're putting out into the world and into the market are focused on public equity markets, public stock markets. And, you know, come uh, February, March, when things really looked bleak, um, it was, it was a, we were very uncertain in terms of how the products we put out into the market were going to perform. Uh, we were just getting started on our most recent product and putting that uh, kind of through the regulatory process uh, to get it listed. And it was like, actually, I can share a funny kind of anecdote. So our, our product we just launched is focused on, it's BETS, B-E-T-Z, focused on online sports betting and online casino as well, or iGaming. Um, and when we went to present it at the board meeting, to, to it's kind of one of the things you have to do uh, with our partners at U.S. Bank. They were like, you sure you want to, you sure you want to move forward with a product focused on sports right now? And we were like, you know, we can't predict the future. So uh, yeah, let's get let's get the wheels in motion. Uh, so that, it was a little bit um, tricky from that standpoint. Um, but what we're seeing right now, uh, especially with um, Nerd, which is our esports and video games focused fund, is that's performed extraordinarily well. Um, and I think there are pockets of the, the global economy, and that ties over into the market, that are actually um, in some ways a silver lining with everything that's going on. Video games and esports is certainly one of them. Uh, with traditional sports almost back really in a big way, but not quite yet. So we were fortunate, I think, in a lot of ways. That's amazing. So um, before we get kind of more into like what, you know, you know, bets and nerd and, and what Roundhill is doing. Um, so, so you guys put out exchange traded uh, funds onto, uh, is it New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ? Yep. New York Stock okay. Exchange. Got it. So taking like a step back for someone like listening 
you know, what would you, how would you like very simply explain what an ETF is rather than a stock or a bond or other ways to, to invest? Yeah. So I think at their core, they're probably most similar to stocks, right? Similar to stocks, they trade on various exchanges. In our case, they trade on the New York Stock Exchange. And when you're buying into an ETF, really you're buying via one ticker symbol, you're buying into a basket of diversified securities. So probably the most well-known uh, ETF in the world is, is SPY, which tracks the S&P 500. Um, and that's really kind of a benchmark of 500 of the biggest companies in the US. That's kind of the, the, the old school model is kind of offering these kind of very large, very diversified products. In our case, we're really going after what we believe to be really exciting specific sectors and themes within the market and identifying public companies, whether they're listed in the US or around the world, we can still include them in our ETF and really packaging those together. So if you're, um, you know, if you're a retail investor and you maybe don't want to do the research to decide which company is most uh, involved in a given uh, sector or theme, or, you know, you don't, you're not capable or, or interested in doing the, the fundamental analysis to make an investment decision, we're really bringing that onto our table and, and letting the end investors just decide, hey, look, uh, sports betting is a really interesting area. I don't know who's going to win. Let me buy a little bit of all of the companies through one trade. And that's kind of the, the very high level overview. Yeah, no, and um, especially for millennials, like um, when you're investing, like I can personally attest to that where it's, for, for the most part, every stock that I personally invested in, um, I lost money on. But every <laughs> ETF that I bought, they all were, they all made me money. And, and uh, you know, that they kind of diversify where it's like you can, you're buying into an industry that you know is going to perform year over year rather than a company that could face a scandal or could face uh, other regulatory things. And, and um, you know, that's something, would you say that, that a product like that would be like geared towards millennials as, as much as maybe some, you know, seasoned executives or investors as well? Well, it takes courage to admit that uh, on, on air like that, that most of your stock picks haven't panned out. I think that's true for most people, myself included, anyways. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think that the, the, we're not necessarily targeting millennials or, or Gen Z for that matter, but I think w with the sectors that we focus on for our two products, they tend to be better understood by a younger audience. And I think what we're always going to do when we're launching a new product is make sure that we're kind of in the early to mid stages of a long-term uh, kind of growth industry. Um, that's just where we think we can have an edge and where we think we can put together products that maybe are really differentiated. But no, the ETF is a, is a tool for um, anyone from a retail, you know, investor that has a few thousand dollars in their Robinhood account all the way up to um, institutional investors who are looking to manage exposure or um, really do some kind of uh, portfolio positioning, kind of the way they look at it. So it can be a fit for anyone. Um, that's the beautiful part of an exchange-traded fund is anyone that has uh, a brokerage account can go out and get exposure to these industries. Yeah, that's amazing. So um, to, to kind of segue into like actually just roundtail investments, like you um, and your business partner founding, founding that, can you tell about like the, the story behind like what got you to start it? Where were you before that? And then, you know, any types of motives, like, you know, it's kind of interesting to see like what there's a pain point that you had or what was the kind of the reason that you, you took that leap to kind of start this? Yeah. So at our, our core right now, we're doing a couple other things. We've made one private investment. We're working on that kind of new, new app, but our core business is really ETFs, exchange traded funds. Um, I started right out of Vanderbilt at a boutique ETF issuer and I kind of got to learn 
how do you design these products? How do you market them? How do you make them successful? Because at the end of the day, um, really it's all about building awareness and raising assets under management. That's how, that's how our business works. It's, it's pretty simple. Um, and during my time there, like I said, really got to appreciate that business model and how scalable it was and how we were able to do a lot as a small team back then. We raised uh, $400 million uh, in two energy ETFs. And that kind of gave me the, the groundwork and the know-how to do it. Um, Cause there's only, there's only, you know, call it a hundred, maybe 200 less than that ETF companies in the entire country. Um, then I spent time active management. So I stayed in financial services, always my whole career. Um, and was most recently the head trader for an equity hedge fund focused on uh, midstream pipeline companies. And I said, do I want to continue to be a trader, which is glorified button pressing to a large degree? No. Do I want to time my career to pipelines? And that was like a no, excuse me, like no way kind of thing. Um, so got together with um, my co-founder and we actually, sometimes I hate to admit this, but we reconnected when crypto was a huge thing. And we were partially interested in it from an intellectual standpoint, but really it was the price that was the reason everyone was looking at it back in uh, 2018. Um, and that's really what got Tim and I back connected. We had known each other through Vanderbilt and, and growing up um, and said, I really said, I think there's room for building a firm around products that really are going after these exciting areas that are maybe overlooked by the broad um, you know, large firms on Wall Street that are kind of sticking with their bread and butter. I know how to do them in ETF. Let's do it. And um, uh, decided for our first fund that, um, and this was kind of in late 2018, early 19, uh, you had Drake and, Drake and Ninja breaking records on Twitch. I was like, I think there's really something uh, in esports. It's kind of nude in North America, but it's got a huge presence in Asia and in Europe. Um, and taking kind of our, our last part of this conversation a bit further, you had Bob Kraft buying into the Overwatch League. You had Jeff Wilpon getting involved. The average person couldn't invest into esports kind of as in that kind of a way. You, you would have had to be accredited or be involved in those private deals. We said, how can we put together a public vehicle that anyone can buy that gets us as close to replicating esports exposure um, via the public market. So we decided on that for, for fund one. Um, and, and that's gone rather well and, and just launched uh, it last month, our, our second ETF focused on, on the betting world. That's amazing. So, um, so you kind of narrowed in on esports from like uh, various reasons as well. And like, I can test that as well, where a lot of these panels or conversations I'm having, it's like, you know, what do you think the future of sports is a five to 10 year game plan? Esports, the majority of the time is always at the, that, and point of the conversation and you know some predictions of people are even saying that an esports league will surpass uh, a major sporting league nhl M mls nfl in some capacity with viewership and revenue so i i definitely agree with that um prediction as well um and then uh just kind of taking another step back of like all right so you come up with the idea of like all right the thesis of esports is going this direction let's get let's get behind it how do you actually like put that on to the New York stock exchange? Like what's, there's a lot of paperwork I'm guessing, but like, you know, it's not the easiest thing to do, but like when you put something listed, like how do you, how do you do that? How do you list your, that ticker and all that stuff? Yeah, yeah. Different uh, process. Yeah. So um, it is a fair bit of paperwork, but um, I think we have pretty good partners that help us through that process. But in, in our case, our pro our ETFs, our funds that are listed on the exchange are actually tracking 
an index that, that lists out the kind of 30 to 35 companies and they're given percentage weightings. So we wrote the rule set that dictated how we chose those companies each quarter. Um, to take that a little bit further, you know, some funds are managed where, let's use eSports as an example, where the manager is really trying to pick the best stocks and they're saying, you know, sell Activision because Warzone is, is, is peaked already and buy EA because Apex is coming back or something like that. That's not really our, the way our rules work and the way our selection works. We're just saying we've identified which companies are most exposed to eSports and streaming let's put those together in a way that makes sense and gets you that, and then you can do with it what you will. So the first step is really identifying the rules in the investment process, whether that's active like others or passive like ours. And then from there, um, really the first step is, is, is finding a, a partner, um, whether it's uh, US Bank is the one that we worked with, to really, they have a lot of the infrastructure and the, and the pipes in place to kind of do a lot of the day-to-day -day operational work with regards to actually overseeing the ETF. So we found them as a partner. Um, we have a trading partner as well. We have a company that does the index calculation. There's all these different moving pieces. We had to select which exchange we wanted to list on. Um, so a lot of it is really outsourced. Um, and, and to a certain degree, kind of that's happened over the last 20 years since ETFs really uh, became, became more popularized. Um, and then you, you, the, you start the process. And this is why I mentioned earlier that we started the betting product all the way back in March, but it didn't launch until May as you, you file documents through your lawyers um, with the SEC, the SEC you know, reviews the strategy. Does it make sense? Are these guys legitimate, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then provided that they give you approval, um, you're able to launch on the exchange. Um, and giving you a little bit more color on our background and how we went about it, um, we did raise a kind of pre-seed or seed venture round, if you want to call it that, um, because ETFs are expensive to run. We have all these third parties that I just mentioned to you that um, we have to pay to kind of keep this thing up and running. So we did that um, uh, after a friends and family round last year um, to help kind of put that first product into market, now our second. Um, and now we're seeing really tremendous growth um, in terms of our assets, particularly with the betting product, which struck a nerve uh, with a lot of people, I think, um, and that's already at about $90 million in assets under management in, in its first month. That's amazing. So um, sports betting, casinos kind of heavily tie into esports and gaming as well. Was that like, um, could you kind of give an overview as well? What got you all to decide for the sports betting as the next fund? And like, did there, was there a reason that you chose that because it correlates to esports in a way? Or, or can, can you give a little bit of overview of what, what inspired you to pick that? Yeah, so I think um, understanding that our ETF vehicles are really passively managed and you're not really investing in us per se, you're investing in the index and kind of the rules that we've put together to identify these companies. Um, we're not going to necessarily try and stick to sports and entertainment if that's kind of where you're going with this. Instead, we're really, we're going to be opportunistic wherever we happen to believe that one, there's a developing public market because it's important. We have enough companies to kind of put into, uh, into the product. Um, and two, where we think that we're kind of in the early stages of growth. And it, it, to answer your question more directly, it just so happens that sports betting um, and casino fit well into esports. But um, we, we may have gone in a different direction if we thought that that was a better opportunity. But um, when we really decided to go into to sports betting, we had seen that uh, DraftKings was going to come public via the SPAC transaction, uh, transaction with Diamond Eagle. Um, you know, some of the names had been performing rather well. 
Um, we believe that regulation was only going to continue and there would be more and more catalysts for the industry. This is pre-COVID, mind you. Um, and, and really just identified it through our research of various themes and products that we believed we'd want first and foremost, and therefore our, our investors would want as well. Um, so no, it's, it's kind of more by chance that they happen to really tie out well together, not, not by design. That's awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, other companies, like I would say under the, the bets would be like Penn National Gaming, which just bought a stake in Barstool Sports. Um, some other ones would be like Churchill Downs, correct? And some other like various um, outlets. Um, I, I saw recently there, there's another one listed on your website. It's Deep. Um, was that, is that like a newer one or is that a, a different fund that, uh, that just came, came to fruition? Yeah, so that was um, a little bit different than the first two funds. That wasn't one that was kind of born out of our thinking and trying to identify uh, trends. That was really a situation where an existing fund uh, that had about $20 million in assets under management um, was kind of, kind of had a very uncertain future. We had the opportunity to take it over. Um, and that kind of is a little bit outside of our wheelhouse. That's, that's a truly fundamental type product that's invest, trying to invest in undervalued companies, no matter what sector they're in. Not as sexy as sports betting or esports, very, very different, very much more so traditional. It was really kind of an opportunistic play for us. Um, but for that product, we're working with uh, Tobias Carlisle, who's written several books on, on value investing. He's doing that one with us in kind of a partnership. So that was a one-off. Future products are going to probably be more in the sexy, exciting, cool growth areas. Not to say value isn't exciting. It's just a different audience. Nice. What, could you hint at maybe some of the areas that, that you're excited about, like moving forward, you kind of checked off esports, sports betting. Are there any types of um, areas that, that are exciting to you? Um, I don't want to share them because I, I, the ETF industry is full of copycats. And I, I don't know if, if that's your target audience on this podcast, but you never know. Um, I just will, I'll just say that it's always going to be um, focused on what we believe to be secular growth trends where we're in the first or second inning where we're starting to get interest in the public markets about the companies and what the companies are doing that make up those, um, those areas of growth. I will share one that we're not going to do, but maybe if enough people listening here say you should do it, then I'll reconsider it. We've actually looked at putting together an ETF that tracks all of the companies that are public that own and operate sports franchises. So you have MSG, which owns the Knicks and the Rangers, you have Manchester United, you have Juventus, you have AS Roma, you have uh, Besiktas, you have a lot of Euro football clubs that are actually public in Europe. That was one I thought was pretty cool. Because um, as, as we've kind of learned over time, you know, sports franchises appreciate in value in a pretty significant and steady way. Um, and that was one we looked at, but it was like, there's not enough, really enough companies to do it in a, in a really proper, proper way, but it would have been fun. Let's put it that way. Could have had a good ticker too, I bet. <laughs> That's a good one. So, so um, how, how do you guys go about marketing these where, you know, it's a different service where, you know, you can do Facebook ads or things like that for different products or services. I will uh, kind of give you guys a shout out. I was, uh, Dave Portnoy does the unboxing videos and you guys sent him a hat and I was just happy to watch the <laughs> nerd uh, ticker on there. So that was uh, part of a good audience, but you know, that, that, that might've been more something that you guys were doing for fun and maybe not the strongest like marketing technique that you guys had laid out, but what are some of the other things you do? Or even could you talk about that experience if you saw any type of, um, you know, people reacting to that? Yeah. So no, I mean, that was, that was like an, an out of the blue. I kind of said, why don't we, I see Fortnite doing this every night and there's tons of people watching. Let's send him a hat and see if he does it. And he did put it on for like a good, 
couple minutes, which was pretty, yeah, which, which was pretty cool. Um, not our core marketing strategy. I don't know if we could count on that. Um, so we have spent some time trying to, an ETF, like we've said throughout the call, is really everyone that has a brokerage account can buy it. So it's kind of this direct to consumer type of financial product um, where it does make sense to kind of do um, more traditional advertising on social, on Google, uh, things of that nature. We've done a little bit of that. Um, believe it or not, for our most recent fund, Beth, and for the past couple of months, we've spent $0 on advertising and we've done zero outbound marketing and sales. Um, really, we've taken the approach that by creating really cool and interesting and differentiated products and supplementing that with content-based educational marketing, by supplementing it with organic social that we can um, build and tell a story that, that really makes people, um, if they're so inclined, buy the ETFs because they really, really, really believe in those areas, whether it's esports or sports betting, rather than be sold to them. I mean, I'm sure you, you can imagine the old school ETF firms that we're going up against, their model is uh, pick up the phone, dial as many people as you can, see if you can get one guy out for a steak dinner and tell him why yours is better than the other guys and have him switch. Like, that's not how I view the world right now. Um, and I think like our generation, assuming we're in the same one, probably close enough, um, our generation like understands how to use technology and the internet to learn about what they want to learn about. So it's our job to provide that information where they can access it and then they can make a decision. Maybe they want to short our ETF. I'd rather they come to that conclusion as much as they can through what we're putting out there to the world. Um, and really kind of, that's kind of been our, our, our approach. So it's really very much so not traditional. Yeah, no, that's, uh, I, I agree with that as well. Or, you know, if someone calls me, I, I probably won't buy, uh, you know, stocks or ETFs over the phone. Like I can do my own research and come with my own resources, but um, you know, kind of uh, another kind of outlook where it's like, you know, we were pretty much in a 10 year, you know, you know, bull market. And then kind of recently it was a little bit more of like a downturn, but I've never even heard this phrase. Maybe you might put it to a kangaroo market right now. What would you kind of describe what's going on where we kind of went into a, a, a bear market, but then you'll see random um, things happen where it's like companies that you wouldn't expect to kind of jump back up. Like, what do you kind of make of what's going on right now? Is the kangaroo market is a meme. Let's be very clear that that lives on the Reddit, Wall Street bets message board and on parts of Twitter. That's a meme, but it, but it, it, is, it is kind of indicative. So that's not, I've never heard that term apart from recently. And it is kind of funny. Um, but I, I think the market makes a, is very hard to kind of put together the pieces in terms of what's going on, right? Coming into uh, COVID, the market was at all time highs. The economy was doing very well. Obviously, then you have coronavirus, you have shutdowns, you have the global economy and it, with its worst kind of several month stretch that we can maybe ever remember, um, maybe going back to like 1929 or 33 to kind of have any sort of kind of corollary for what's going on. And stocks as a result kind of follow that, you know, back in March, you had a situation where uh, there was, you know, it felt like a couple of weeks where almost every day stocks were actually hitting the limits that the exchange allows for the market to go down on a certain day, which is just like unfathomable how quickly it was dropping, um, which seemed right. I mean, it seemed like, you know, if, if, if everyone's going to be indoors for who knows how long and so much of our economy is built, you know, in different sectors are just going to come to a complete standstill. That made sense. Um, and then I think what you have is the, you know, the federal reserve 
uh, putting in tons of capital, tons of liquidity into every kind of corner of the market to try and prop it up. Obviously, you had um, you know, the, the stimulus checks go out to individuals, which certainly helped consumer spending. But um, there's a lot of really smart people in the market right now who are having a tough time understanding how we've recovered so quickly when it's maybe not so reflective of the actual um, standing of individual companies and, and, and what's going on and their kind of ability to survive. But what I will say is this, you're also seeing, um, and we've been fortunate with the areas and the sectors and the types of companies we've chosen to focus on, you're seeing winners and losers. Um, and I look at esports and game companies, whether it's video game publishers or game hardware makers, um, or even the streaming platforms, all of which make up our ETF. I view them as companies who coming into this were long-term growth stories. And now you have more people playing and watching video games than ever before. I think the second quarter is going to like blow people's minds in terms of how much uh, money these companies made. You have like a long-term long trend that's going up and then you just spike it. And the question I think a lot of people are asking is, is has the world fundamentally changed to the point where let's use esports, where esports has a bigger position in the pie of global sports than it ever did before and it stays there? Or is it just a temporary thing? Um, and I think the market's trying to go through, that's one very specific example, but the market's trying to go through these questions in its head, right? Like Amazon's at an all-time high, but Macy's just went bankrupt. Mm -hmm. And is that, are we finally at the point, we've seen this for years, where, you know, retail shopping has moved exclusively online or is this just a short-term thing and Amazon will come back down to earth in the traditional retail? I don't know, but I think that's like some of the more logical things that are going on in the market. Yeah. And, and especially with, with esports as well, like the, the companies at the ground, like startup level have such like high growth potential where you'll see them quickly pick traction and, and get funding. Um, but, but, breaking through, you know, seed round to series A to series B and whatnot. Do you, do you like, what do you think the kind of upcoming sentiment will be for these esports companies to actually go public? And is that as sexy as it used to be of like going public? And, you know, do you think that will be another wave of companies that maybe you guys will have a better chance of evaluating through, you know, the, the nerd, um, the ticker? Yeah. Um, I think we've, I think it might be a pretty decent environment because I think more people than ever, know what esports is and it's because you had espn showing virtual nascar and you had them showing the 2k league and it's just it's it's had more eyeballs in front of it from people that wouldn't have otherwise even known what it was i think to a large degree so from that standpoint i think the public markets are probably more receptive than they've ever been to an esports related company going public um and i think you've seen uh you know, you, you've seen a lot of people have had success investing in some of the kind of larger, more related companies. I do believe that there's kind of this interesting concept of, of esports versus like gaming and game streaming more broadly that I kind of think are very distinct. Um, you know, the an esports business model built off of in-person events in whatever shape or form that takes, that's a, you're in a very different place than if you're running a streaming platform. Like, Huya, which is the Amazon of China, excuse me, the Twitch of China, for example, right? Like the one, the streaming platform is, is benefiting and viewerships at an all time high and your live events company can't run its business. So I think there's definitely winners and losers, even within esports. Um, and I think, you know, to me, that's always kind of been um, something that I've believed in is the digital nature of gaming and esports lends it to all of these really cool, exciting things. Ubisoft just announced a game where 
if you're watching on Twitch, you can actually impact what's going on in the game. You could never do that in traditional sports. You can fill up a stadium for traditional sports or esports. To me, that's kind of a current iteration of esports, not where it'll go. Um, I guess the long way of me of saying is that it very much so depends what type of company you are in the space. Um, and let's use team, like using teams as an example. If you're um, a team that's you know very much so focused on land tournaments and trying to win and be the best in the game, very different than Face Clan, who continues to pump out content and and is it like probably seeing tons of views on their YouTube videos, right? It's just it it's very nuanced um, at kind of the lower levels. Yeah, no, it's uh, interesting to put it. Um, what would be like, you know, if you were kind of looking like five to 10 years when hopefully like more live events are, are like, like not many restrictions like we're facing right now and we're back to like a, a, a newer normal, like what would you say that looks like and how it could be for esports and betting combined where it's like, what would be like an ideal experience? Like, you know, you, you drive there, you're getting updates and maybe there's a sports book in the esports arena or like, what would that ideal environment look like for someone like you that is kind of actively in, you know, monitoring these investments? Yeah. I mean, I think that at the highest level, uh, and this really is where betting comes in is like, especially for younger generations, it's not enough to, especially let's use the example of baseball. It's not enough. I'm not engaged enough to sit there and watch a full baseball game. Mm -hmm. Now, if you can get betting involved, that's one more layer of engagement. If you can take betting to, live in-game betting that's like a whole an even another level of engagement if i can bet on every single pitch um and and i think that's really important for younger generations and their shortened time spans that we've grown accustomed to from swiping on uh tinder or on instagram or whatever it is right like i think that's really important um in terms of esports i probably disagree with a lot of people on on this front but i personally believe the the in-stadium like trying to sell at Barclays Center type stuff is great every once in a while. I think the core, core, core of esports is going to be taking place primarily online. Um, and I think if we're talking about five, 10 years down the road, we've actually seen Tencent invest into a company called BattleRight. Um, BattleRight is a MOBA like League of Legends or Dota, but it's based on VR from a consumer standpoint. So as a viewer, I'm watching in VR inside of the stadium, inside of the virtual stadium and able to consume the content in a way that I'm in control of the way that I consume it, right? I can, I can watch it however I want. And to me, that is the advantage of esports versus traditional sports. We've seen some stuff in traditional sports. I, I tweeted this a little while ago, like if, there, if the leagues have truly invested a lot of money into VR capabilities, Now's the time to sell a virtual reality courtside seat to the games being played in Orlando. Like now's the time if you have that unleash it, because imagine if everyone just starts watching courtside and like how many more courtside seats you could sell if everyone around the world can buy them. Yeah. To me, those are the crazy kind of exciting stuff. Yeah. And, and for the VR aspect too, is from, from what I've spoken to VR companies, like the tech is like very far away from where it needs to be. Yeah. Really, where it's not necessarily you're just buying a court seat, but you're buying, let's say you're an NBA 2K and you can hover wherever you want to be. So that's like really where they're from the, the experts I've been talking to, of like that's where they want it to be, where it's you're not stationary, you can yep. fly anywhere, but that, you know, the tech is just kind of still not there. But, um, you know, maybe one of the last few questions I would have is like, you know, with esports and sports betting kind of being um, intertwined in a way, 
Um, how would how do you think like sports betting will kind of incorporate into esports? It's still like it is happening, but you know we've we've seen some kind of issues with like people can um, rig it or they have faster monitors or things like that. It's not as um, regulatory as you could for some other sports, but like how do you think those two are going to interact? You know, moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I think esports betting is already a pretty big market. Um, it's measured in the billions of dollars in, in dollars wagered, not revenues, right? But in dollars wagered uh, this year. Um, and like we said, more, without traditional sports on, I think if you ask a lot of the sports books what their biggest bet uh, events were, it was, it was uh, Eastern European table tennis and it was esports. And, and I, probably not in that order, but don't ask me why the table tennis took off so much. I guess you, that was, uh, you could play that in a safe way. But more people have been betting on esports and getting accustomed to it. I mean, to me, esports is just another vertical within the broader um, betting, you know, kind of broader betting universe, right? You can bet on esports the same way you would in an NFL match. I think that's definitely going to grow. Um, but to your point, it brings up these issues around kind of match fixing, um, and 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 I think those are general issues that you see in lower tiers of traditional professional sports across the board. And I think esports in terms of kind of its regulatory environment has a work to do to get up to something with like uh, the NBA, for example, although the NBA has had its own share of kind of scandals over the years. Um, so I think they're definitely just going to be twined, but esports is going to be another, um, another kind of vertical there. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, yeah. I, I guess last thing to kind of wrap it all up is, um, you know, you've been able to kind of carve your own path and kind of like create a new niche into like sports and entertainment where it's like someone might be really passionate about finance, but you know, sports and entertainment, you've been able to kind of merge those two. Um, well, any kind of like party ways just from like general entrepreneurship or like kind of finding new opportunities and where your passions lie that, that maybe you could pass along or like, how did you kind of find your passion and kind of, you know, go you know, hands on and pursue it? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, I think um, going back to our first, product of esports. Um, video gaming was a big part of my life growing up. I wasn't playing it that much coming into doing the product, but it was something that when I was talking about it every single day saying, here's why you should take a look at our ETF and here's why the, you know, the entire sector is interesting and here's why I believe in it to like truly, truly believe in what, when you're starting your own company from scratch, you can literally do whatever the hell you want. So like, to me, the most important thing is like actually believing in what you're putting out there and what you're selling and what your vision is. And it's probably such an easily overlooked thing, but I think a lot of people, especially if you're um, kind of brought, in, brought on a little bit later or things of like that, you don't necessarily believe in the vision. Like it's such a really, really simple thing. But when you do, and when you have your own skin in the game, like for me personally, I'd never done any media appearances prior to starting my own company. Now I've been on CNBC, I've been on Bloomberg, I've been on Fox, all this stuff. And it's like, Normally I'd be like so concerned with all that stuff and like nervous and all, all this, but like when you're building it because you believe in it and because, and, and because you like above everything else want that company to succeed, your company to succeed. I think that's just like the most critical important thing is actually believing in what you're selling. And there's no excuse not to when you're starting your own thing because you picked it. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. And uh, I, to summarize that, it seems like, you know, once you start a company, you're, so heavily involved, you kind of like naturally push yourself to doing things that you would be probably want to anyway. So, so it kind of opens new doors and, and that's kind of what, you know, the whole ride's about, but um, well, great to, to speak with you, hear more about the products you, you offer for all those listening, go uh, Robinhood, E-Trade, whatever accounts you, you use to trade, check out Nerd, check out Bets, 
um, great products that are doing well. So uh, thank you so much for coming on and, and definitely uh, connect with Will a- after this, uh, this podcast. Thanks, Nick. It was awesome. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.